uh, you know, uh, distracting. When we were doing the prayer just now, uh, right before uh, the offertory prayer, and we're trying to get James Allen to pray, and he says, we're whispering to him, it's time to pray, you know, time to pray. How do we pray? And he goes, no pray. <laughs> sorry, sorry, buddy, I offended you. Um, so anyways, uh, we're going to be in First Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read uh, 2 through 12. But before I read it, just to, this is the wrapping up sermon of a little mini-series that we're doing called Connection. Uh, that life is best lived when fully connected. That God has designed you, He's made humanity, He's made you in His image to be connected to Him to be connected to other people genuinely and deeply, and to be connected to His purpose in the world. Adam and Eve were made for relationship with God, to be worshiping Him, walking with Him in the cool of the garden, that God's made us for an intimate, close proximity relationship with Himself. That relationship has been derailed because of our own sin, and that's He sends Jesus to bring us back to him, that Jesus comes as the son of God on a divine rescue mission to bring us back to himself and then to reconnect us into a redeemed, renewed people. And so after coming to Christ in faith, he designs us to be plugged into the body of Christ in real substantial ways. And then Adam and Eve were made To be God's co-laborers, right? He blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it or exercise dominion. That part of the mandate that God gave them, part of the blessing that God gave to Adam and Eve was that they would expand the beauty, the order, the purpose of the Garden of Eden would spread across the globe. That they would be God's co-laborers in this world. And so if Jesus is coming to restore all things, which is exactly what he said he's going to do, he's here to reconnect you to God in true worship, true discipleship, and to reconnect you to people in genuine ways in Christ, and then also to reconnect you to his purpose for you in this world. And what we, when we begin to see the, the fullness, and I haven't unpacked all of it, but the fullness of the good news of the gospel transforming our relationship vertically with God, our relationship with other people horizontally, and our relationship before us with our meaning and our purpose, then we'll begin to see that all of the things that this world offers you to try to find identity, to try to find connection, to try to find meaning, are, often are vestiges that are left over remnants of what God has designed you to be. One, and then two, they're often exercises of idolatry. When we begin to find our ultimate purpose in something other than God, when we begin to lean on relationships in a way that dishonors God, when we begin to find our meaning and our purpose with God not at the center, all of those things are spin-offs of idolatry where we look to something else other than God. And so the gospel simultaneously, simultaneously, confronts our, our, our idolatry and extends restoration to us. The good news of Jesus simultaneously confronts our idolatry and offers us full restoration. So he restores, again, vertical relationship, horizontal relationship, and the relationship with the world. 
And this matters because the gospel isn't simply you in an ethereal spiritual existence exiting this life and entering into heaven. That's not all that Jesus came to accomplish. Jesus came to restore all things. And when you look at the end of the book, you see all things restored. New heavens, new earth. We don't need a light because the glory of God is our light. The imminent presence of God amongst His people. No more sin, no more sorrow. All of the things that would disjoint vertical relationship, horizontal relationship, relationship, if you will, with our purpose. All of those things are removed. And that's what Jesus came to do. And so part of this series is how do we begin to live into that vision? Not simply, how do we kind of muddle our way through? How do we hold on to the ship as it's sinking, right? This world's all going to hell. How do we make sure we exit off the runway just in time? If that's our vision, then we're going to make stunted disciples. If our vision doesn't include the vertical, the horizontal, and the world in front of you, we are going to make stunted disciples, and we're going to miss some of the fullness of the gospel. And we're walking through this connection series. And my vision, my plan is to, uh, and I mentioned a few, maybe last week, uh, that we're going to have a Blaney Connect class, right? If you are interested in membership in Blaney, that we're going to have a four-week class. And the way it's going to work, at least in my mind, uh, and again, I'm looking at September, but uh, that we'll offer all of these. There'll be a 101, 201, 301, 401, and they'll be offered every week. So first week, first Sunday of every week, 101, second Sunday, 201. And you don't have to take them in successive order. You just get them all in. OK. Um, and the idea is that there will be 101 will be kind of an, an orientation introduction to the church and everything. Uh, and then 201 will talk about being connected to God. 301, being connected to the body of Christ. 401, being connected to God's mission and purpose in the world. So this, this, what I've been kind of unpacking the last few weeks is really going to feed a lot into uh, that class. And ultimately, I, I hope the culture that God is going to establish in Blaney. So if you want to kind of listen to this message and the messages before in that light, um, that's going to feed into what, what we're doing there, and then I'll, I'll kind of unpack all that stuff later. But all that being said, I want to read to you from 1 Peter chapter 2, and I'm going to read verse 1, uh, or verse 2. We'll start at verse 2. Sorry. It's a weird chapter break, okay? It's, it's not really that weird. It feels weird. But um, verse 2, and I'm going to read 2 through 12. And so if you would stand as I read God's Word, as we think about God being connected to God's purpose and mission in this world. Like newborn infants, desire the pure milk of the word so that you may grow up into your salvation. If you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, you yourselves as living stones, a spiritual house are being built to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and honored cornerstone, and the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. So honor will come to you who believe, but for the unbelieving, 
The stone that the builders rejected, this one has become the cornerstone and a stone to stumble over and a rock to trip over. They stumble because they disobey the word. They were destined for this. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day He visits. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you have spoken and that you are speaking in your word to us now by your spirit. We pray that by your power, you would give us hearts that are ready, minds that are ready, ears that are open, eyes that are open. We claim no uh, ability on our own, but we only what you give to us in your grace. So help us, God. Help us to hear your voice in your word. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So God, would you speak to us this morning, even today? Speak, O Lord. Father in heaven, speak. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. I was tempted to do Ephesians 4 again, right? That Jesus ascended in order to fill all things. It's just a fantastic passage. Uh, But that God intends through Jesus, through his people, to fill all things. And you're thinking, what? does that mean? Uh, Yesterday, Sarah Beth was hosting a a baby shower for her cousin, Kimberly, who's having a baby. That's why she's having a baby shower. It's not. Anyways. Uh, And and I had had all of the boys. You know, I had to take all of I had to uh, Henry and James Allen and Chapman. And we we went to Home Depot. We went. um, uh, Henry wanted to go to the toy store. And I said, we're going to the big boy toy store. Uh, and then he wanted to get one of the, like the, the lawnmower, the tractor lawnmowers. It was like four grand. I was like, not that big. You know, we can't go that big. Um, but anyway, so, we're, but getting ready for the shower was a, is, is slightly stressful with, with four children. Um, and if you've never, ever wondered what fullness is, how you can go from emptiness to fullness, just have a clean house with three ambulatory, right? Walking around, running around children. Chapman's not into the fray yet. Uh, you have three children and toy buckets. And you will quickly find out what it means for a house to go from clean, empty, put, put, put away, and then full of junk. It's like in the moment where you're saying, clean everything up. You, you've, had, you've had all the time, you've had days of just play. Get, do what you're going to do. Now put it all back. We finally get it all back and we have like an hour just an hour. And that's when they go and literally pull everything out. 
Like, I, toys I have not seen since, like, Evelyn May was little. I don't even know where, it, where it's been for four years. And they find it, and it's on the floor. And poor Sarah Beth's, like, about to lose her mind. And the dog's running around, chewing on. He doesn't know what's his toy, what's their toy, what's safe, what's not. And it's just a madhouse. And the house is just full. How, and not just, like, the living room. You know, it's the living room and the kitchen and their room. And somehow they get into the bathroom and it's just everywhere. And I'm like, what happened to you guys? Um, Just full of stuff. They take their thing. They go to their spot and they fill it with, I mean, with joy, with toys and laughter. Usually until they start fighting one another. Um, And what God, God's purpose for you. uh, And I'm not going to answer this question individually, right? This is what God means for you, and this is what God means for you, and this is what God means for you. But you, God has a purpose and a meaning for your life. That should not be re- revolutionary, but that's true. God has a purpose and a meaning for your life, and the first step you take into that meaning is following Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So if that's where you are today, right, you've never followed Jesus, that's the step you have to take, right? This is your application on the front end of this message. That's where you need to go. Some of you have taken that step of of trusting in Jesus, but you've never made that a public thing. You've never never told anybody. You've prayed to receive Christ. You're trying to follow Jesus, but you're trying to keep it under wraps. And uh, it doesn't work that way, right? You need to make that public. You need to step out into the light. And the way that you do that is through baptism. And so maybe that's the step you need to take. You need to bring your faith out to the light and tell everybody that you are union, you're connected to Jesus in baptism. Some of us need to join the church. Some of us need to step into a ministry that the Lord is calling you to. But generally, the Lord has a purpose and a meaning for your life, and it connects to the reason why Jesus ascended. Jesus ascended in order to Fill all things. Everybody say it. Jesus ascended in order to fill all things. And I didn't make that up right. We just read it in Ephesians 4. Uh, if you were to read Ephesians 1, 20 through 21, just let me read it to you on the outset before we kind of press into some of these things. Um, he, God, exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and by seating him at his right hand in the heavens far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title given, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he subjected everything. You could substitute that for all things. He he subjected everything under his feet so that there's nothing. Just um, this is not the scripture. This is me. Just so you know, there's a line here. Okay. Quote, unquote. Uh, that he's, he's subjected everything under the feet of Jesus. That there's nothing that's not under the lordship of Jesus. There's nothing, there's no one, and there's no arena, area, domain of your life that's not under the lordship of Jesus. And this is, the, this is where we're going, right? If God is calling you to fill all things, then that means your life... The first step you need to take is that your life be filled with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ right now on Sunday morning, but also this time tomorrow. He put everything under Jesus' feet and appointed him as head over everything for the church. By the way, this mirrors exactly what Jesus says to the disciples. The Great Commission, all authority has been given to me, right? Go therefore. 
He appointed him as head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of the one who fills all things in every way. So there is a connection between Jesus's lordship over all things and his realized lordship in your life. And there's a connection between Jesus filling all things and you, the church, the body of Christ being present there. Just hang that in the back of your head. That's a coat hanger. We're going to come back to it. That he fills all things in every way through his church. So we're not talking about the omnipresence of God, that he's everywhere. But we're talking about the real Jesus showing up in real life through real followers of Jesus. The real Jesus showing up in the real lives of real followers of Jesus. What, does, what am I saying? I'm saying that through you, God is going to fill all things with his presence. Right? He ascends In order to fill all things, he distributes his spirit to his church. And now wherever you go and whatever you do, you are the walking presence of the redeeming Lord Jesus Christ. Wherever you go and whatever you do, you're at least testifying about something about Jesus. Either you're telling the truth about Jesus or you're telling a lie about Jesus, but you're saying something about Jesus. Okay. Now, jump to Peter. A different apostle. This isn't Paul. This is, isn't, this is Peter. This is Peter writing later. And he's writing to the chosen exiles who were dispersed abroad. He's talking about the church. Or if you have the ESV, it's the elect exiles. He writes to those who are living in exile. And if you were here, if you're here Wednesday night, we have a Bible study. We're going through James. You're welcome to come. Um, But uh, that we live as Christians, we live an exilic existence. Right. We are not yet home. We are we're passing through a place and a time that is not our own. We are exiles passing through. But Peter begins to unpack the reality of what it means to be the church. And then what does that mean? What do we do with that? He uses the imagery of stones as though God were not a carpenter, maybe, but he's a mason. Masonry, not like the Freemasons, but like he's doing masonry work. We're not going to crack that can of worms open. Uh, If you're a mason, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to offend you quite yet. Um, uh, somebody caught that as you come to him, a living stone so that Jesus is the cornerstone. He's the living stone. He is the, the, the integral piece to the foundation of the building. Actually, Paul in Ephesians chapter two says that we're built upon the foundation of the prophets and the, the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone so that the building stands or falls, whether or not Jesus is at the foundation And he says, as you come to a living stone rejected by people, but chosen and honored by God, this is who Jesus is. He was rejected and through rejection, and this plays into Peter's theme, but by through rejection, through rejection, he is proven to be chosen and honored by God. Then verse five, you yourselves as living stones. I don't want you to miss this identity of God's people. 
The same descriptor that is used of Jesus is used of us. He is a living stone. You are living stones. He is alive. You are alive. So that there is a similarity used that, Paul, that Peter opens up before you. He's a living stone being built upon. You are living stones being built into a new temple. You are living stones. Stones of various colors, various backgrounds, various shapes, sizes, gifts, etc. And you're being brought together in Jesus. That the identity of the church, both in the stone itself and in the mortar between the stones, it is of Jesus. Jesus both makes us living stones, makes us alive. And then Jesus is the thing The element that connects us. Now understand this. If you're going to get to where we're going as the church, the way that we are built up is that we become like Christ individually and then connected together. This is where we've been the last couple weeks. You are a living stone as Christ is a living stone and you are being built together to be a holy priesthood. What do do priests do? They do priestly things, but they mediate between the people. Right? Right? I know we don't do priests. Uh, One time I used to work at a moving company uh, when I was in college during the summers. And you you had some interesting dudes. Uh, And I was telling him that, you know, I was going to graduate school and I was going to go to seminary. And he was like, why would you want to be a priest? You can't can't get married. You can't. I was like, that ain't me, bro. That's... Full intention for all, obviously, for all of that stuff. Uh, but anyways, that, that, the pre, that we are made a priesthood of all believers in order to mediate out the blessings of God through the gospel. You are, you are a priest. That doesn't just mean that you have access to God, but that you now mediate the blessings of God into your life. Every time I've heard the priesthood of all believers opened up, it means that you can read your Bible and talk to God on your own. Amen. Preach it. But the flow goes the other way too. The mediation of God's blessings through Christ, through Christians, into all the world. I am not a priest. I don't have a red phone on my desk. I don't have a confession closet back here. I don't have special powers of connection between me and God. God has called me to a specific calling, but he's called you as well to be a holy priesthood. There's no exemption clause here. So that you have connection to God vertically in order that the blessings of God the fullness of God, the presence of God, the promises of God might, be, might show up both on your lips and in your lives. So that the world will look different. But when we see this sort of artificial divide between laity, <laughs> between laity and clergy, as though there was something that God were calling me to do about bringing the gospel out to the nations that He's not calling you to do. About bringing the gospel to our neighbors and to your family. 
that there are domains and arenas and areas, households, workplaces, family relationships, social relationships, where you reside that I will never step into. And if Jesus is going to fill all things, it has to be the living stone priesthood of you there. Filling that place, that family, that house, that workplace with his presence. So you're being built up to a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Paul even says that we need to be living sacrifices. That we don't be conformed, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds and be... Here we are. Living sacrifices. That we are perpetually sacrificing of ourselves so that Christ may be all in all. And then Peter unpacks these scriptures from the Old Testament saying this is, you know, the one saying Jesus has fulfilled the Old Testament. Here for those who believe and there's honor. For those who don't believe there's dishonor as they were destined to. And then verse 9, jump down, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He strings together all of these titles to Israel and he applies them to the church. Many of them are from, I think it's Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. But that you are a chosen race, talking about the church, not Israel here, Peter is. Inspired Bible. We'll get into what this means later um, about in terms of, anyway. Uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priest to the holy nation, a people for his own possession. You have an identity in Jesus. Chosen race. You've, you've received the electing grace of God. You are a royal priesthood. You are, you are kings and priests because Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. You are a holy nation. A people distinguished and set apart by God's work in your lives. And a people for His own possession that you are a treasured prize. Church, you are the bride of Christ. Jesus delights in you. Now notice why. Why are we all of these things? There is identity and there is activity. This is all the movements of God's grace towards you. Chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, a people for his own possession. You didn't do that. You didn't do any of that stuff. You didn't make yourself a chosen nation. You didn't make yourself a royal priesthood. These are all the fruit of God's grace and bringing all of these random collection of people dead in their sins, renewing them by the gospel of Christ and then uniting them together in the church. Living stones, chosen nation, royal priesthood, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Trip on that thing. That God has done these things. You are something in order that you might do something. You are something. And this should be modeled in what we do as a church. Right now you're being reminded that you are something. You're being reminded that you're a chosen nation. That you're a royal priesthood. You're being invited into that identity as a follower of Christ. You're being invited to new life if you never trusted in Jesus. Call out to the Lord and be saved. You're you're being invited into Christian discipleship to follow Him through baptism and through obedience to Christ. 
You're being invited to fuller living of the Christian life by taking who you are in here and living it out out there. But you're being reminded of who you are. Sunday morning worship ought to be a regular staple of your diet because it is formative. Just like your daily habits form you in ways that you don't necessarily immediately recognize, Sunday morning worship shapes you in ways that you don't immediately recognize, but you need the rhythm, not just of this guy getting all hot and bothered in front of you, but but you need the rhythm of coming and saying, let's, let's stop everything else and worship God. You need the rhythm of saying back the scriptures when we do re- responsive readings. You need the rhythm of singing together, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We, we need these things. You need the rhythms of taking the supper and seeing baptism, these visual sermons that the Lord has given You need those because you are grace-defined people. Right? You are defined, that means you're defined by what somebody else has done for you. You're defined by what Jesus has done for you. Your identity is not of you. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Grace defined. That's all, all of these titles in verse 9. Chosen nation, royal priesthood, holy nation. All of these are of grace. Mean, meaning that you did not do it. You did not earn it. It is a product of God's love, his favor, his mercy, and his grace toward you in Jesus. The church is a grace defined and shaped and made people. And because of that, we now do things. You need, to, you need to understand that paradigm. You are something to do something. You don't do something to be something. That's the paradigm of the world. The paradigm of the gospel says you are something by what Christ has done. And now you do something. So what is it that we need to do? We need to proclaim his praises. If we begin to understand the gospel, we begin to understand that I was, I was on the road to hell apart from God, condemned in my sin, and Jesus took my place. What sort of, what, 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 what sort of praises should be flow from my life? If that's true, which it is. If the wrath of God is satisfied at the cross of Christ and not on me, how should I sing? How should I live? And you magnify that by a group of people who have experienced that grace of God together. We should proclaim his praises as the one who called us out of darkness into light. And that also means that we should always be expecting that if he did that for me, he can do that for you. Or if you did that for me, he can do that for them. That those who live in darkness today do not have to die in darkness. Once you were not a people, you were a bunch of cast off dead stones. But you are now God's people. You've been brought together as living stones into a living house. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is who you are in order to proclaim the praises of God. To fill where you are with the presence of God. 
Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles. So this is identity, right? You are grace. You're made by grace, but you're strangers and exiles. The church in America ought to be waking up to this fact. You are a stranger and an exile in a culture that wants to cast you off. They don't want your God. They don't want your gospel. At least they don't think so. They don't want your moral norms. They don't want that stuff. They don't want the the nuclear family. They want to care about the life. They want to care about the lives that they care about, but not all of life and all lives. They, they They don't want this. You're a stranger in exile here. And what that ought to mean is that we do not, you know, let's go get in the bunker. You know what I'm saying? You guys don't. I have a bunker. I don't know what you have. Maybe you have a root cellar. I really don't have a bunker. If anybody is listening. No, I don't actually. But, um, but sometimes Christians just immediately, you're like a, um, like a, you know, a snail sticks its head out of the, out of, out of its shell with its two little googly eyes. This is what I'm calling you right now. Squishy, squishy snail. And as soon as somebody comes by, what happens? Or like a hermit crab. Maybe that's better for you. Bebop it down the sand and then a four-year-old picks you up and you immediately retract and you put up your defenses. That cannot be the way that we live in this world. We cannot hole up in our shell. We cannot hole up in our churches. We can't hole up in our Sunday school classes. In our all, all, everybody's a Christian Bible studies. All of, obviously, I invested my life in these things. Those are all good things. But that cannot be the sum and substance of our Christian lives. It cannot be. One, because Christ, that's not what Christ did. Right? That's not what Jesus did. He left the throne of heaven. He did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the form of a servant. And he took it on the chin out of love. If that's what our Lord did to gain us, what must we do to gain this culture? Better said, what must must we do to gain our family? And our neighbors and our co-workers. What must we do? It is not run away and hide. Even if it gets rougher, which it might. The early Christians, they something happened in the first 300 years of Christianity. You know, by, by mid-300s, Christianity is the religion of the Roman Empire. It's not only made legal, it's made like state religion. Now, we'll talk about whether that's a good or bad thing later. But it moves from being persecuted minority to state religion in 300 years. And one of the things, one of the things that made Christianity so compelling to a pagan culture, a pagan, decadent, sensual, sexually immoral culture, which sounds oddly familiar was that they were willing to step out and to love and to serve. There are profound stories of Christians during time of plague when all of the, the, the big bad Stoics who thought that you should be disconnected from this life, that it doesn't, suffering is an illusion, you should do everything out of duty and honor, that when there was plague in the streets, all of them bailed on the cities, and who was left but the Christians? Not only loving and serving one another, but loving and serving the pagan dying. 
and making sure that they're buried and making sure that they were taken care of, even at the risk of their very own lives. One of the ways that Christianity was so compelling, because it produced a people that pagan gods did not. It produced a people that pagan gods did not. Conduct yourselves honorably or conduct, have a good life among the Gentiles, among the nations, verse 12, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. They will see your good works, right? Jesus said almost the exact same thing. It was like Peter was there on the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Who knew? You should have known, but who knew? Uh, But Peter takes Jesus' teaching and he applies it and says, live an honorable life. So you notice the two things that we ought to be doing. You are all of these things. You're living stones, chosen race, royal priesthood, all of these products of grace. You're mediating out the blessings and the goodness of God. You ought to be proclaiming His praises and living a good life. Not a good life according to their standards. Not the Miller High life. But you were to live a life that's defined by the goodness of God, by the goodness of Christ, that He has done these things for you. And so you are willing to step out of the shell and to love and to serve and to speak to your neighbors and your coworkers. So here's the question. Think about what it is that you do right now. Right, maybe, you, maybe this is your work. Maybe you're retired. This is your family. What would it mean... In those different quadrants of your lives, lives, all those different domains, in your work, work domain, your family domain, your retirement domain, what would it mean that if you ask the question, if I am, which is what I'm, the whole thing I'm trying to say to you, you are, you are to demonstrate the real Jesus in your real life. So if Jesus was... What you are. If Jesus was a civil engineer, what would a civil engineer do? How would, how would the meetings be run? I don't know. It's, I actually should have picked a better thing because I don't know what civil engineers do. They, they engineer civilly. They're very nice about it. Um, I know that's not right. <laughs> Maybe. I don't really know, honestly. But... Um, Choose something else. But, but how, would, how would your meetings go if the real Jesus is in your life? How would you interact with your, with your superiors in the workplace? How would you interact with your people that are below you that answer to you in the workplace? How would you, how would you, how would it, what would it look like? And, and by answering those questions, it's not automatically that you're going to have a Bible study with all these lost people. Right? You probably get fired for that. But it means that you're a person of respect of honesty and of love and joy and peace and patience, that there's something compelling about your life and the real Jesus shows up in your real life so that all places are filled with the presence of Jesus. Apply that same principle to your neighborliness. If Jesus lived in your house with your neighbors, what would Jesus do there? Remember, you're a product of grace. You're not defined by what you do. You're defined by what Jesus has done. But if Jesus, were, if Jesus were the neighbor of my neighbors, how would he live there? 
Would he immediately pull into the garage, wave you know, at the back of your head, at, at the people that are out in their yard, and try to get in as fast as possible? That's, that's what I do sometimes. I'm guilty of that. Long day, things are hard. It's 9 billion degrees outside. I don't want to stand outside in my driveway and sweat trying to talk to my neighbor. That's the only time that I see him. Unless we make an environment where he can be invited into our home. Do you get what I'm driving at? Ask the question, what would it look like for the real Jesus to show up in my real life? And all of a sudden, when you begin praying in that light... You begin pursuing that path. You're not just going to be, you're not going to be a hermit crab disciple. You're going to be a missionary disciple. Because this is not the America of 20 years ago. This is not the America of 40 years ago or 50 years ago. Good, bad, and ugly. There was good, bad, and ugly back then. There's good, bad, and ugly now. But in terms of receptivity to the gospel and the likelihood that people are just going to bebop in the, into the church building, it gets less and less every year. And so what this culture, this society, this age needs, it needs what Leslie Newbegin and Michael Goheen call an, an, a missionary encounter. And the missionary encounter happens with you First. You are the front lines. You are the front lines of what God means to do in this world. You are not secondary actors. You are front line workers. Not just when you all volunteer at VBS, which is awesome. It's amazing. But you are front line workers tomorrow and the next day and the next day. You are on the front lines of the kingdom of God. So that when that, that becomes our vision, that this is the purpose that God has you in the world, not that you quit your job and that you become a pastor, which might be true for some of you. Come on. But it means that you continue to do what you're doing with new purpose, with revived vision for what the Lord is intending to do through you, that he intends to, he's ascended in order that he might fill all things. So let him fill your life first. Let him fill your home first, your marriages and your relationship with your children and your grandchildren. Ask the question, the real Jesus is here. What should I then live like? How do I, how do I invite people into this full life? You are, you are the missionary disciples. Again, you fill this world in ways that I or sage or the deacons or Christian workers can never do it. I can come and I could preach a sermon in this building every day of the week. I could go stand on the street corner and preach every day of the week. And just the collection of people that are in this room will bump into more lost people than I will see in a week or a month or a year. And I'm not saying that you need to go grab your coworkers and shake them and say, trust in Jesus. Maybe you do. But I'm saying go live an honorable life in their context. Go live a compelling life. And the beauty is, right, we have such an opportunity. And I'm going to shut up at some point today. But we have such an opportunity. As this culture goes this way, goes off the cliff. A faithful Christian life 
goes from being concealed under cultural Christianity to being openly shining in a dark place. That you have such an opportunity to live a distinctive, honorable, holy life as a priest for God to mediate out his blessings now. More so than we had 20 years ago. More so than we had 30 years ago. Yes, you'll be ridiculed. Yes, you'll be mocked. Yes, you'll be called all sorts of names. But people will know that you're a Christian, as the song says, by your love. So get out there and love the people that are already in your life. Love them for Christ's sake's sake. Love them for Christ's sake. Love them in order that the knowledge, the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. Habakkuk 2.14 The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It will happen. It will happen. And it happens here through frontline workers like you. You are a missionary sent by Jesus into where you live, where you work, where you learn, and where you play so that every man, woman, and child may encounter the real Jesus where they live, work, learn, and play so that they can trust and follow him. That is what the Lord is calling us to do. Here's the Lord's purpose for your life. Wherever you are and whatever you're doing, make Jesus known. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We pray that you would settle the glory of their gospel upon our hearts, that we might be gripped by the beauty of Jesus and what you have done for us, who we are in you, in order that we might proclaim your praises and that we might live a good life, an honorable life in front of all these people who don't know you, so that they may know you, so that they may see the light of Christ in our words, in our actions, in our joy, in our attitudes, in the way that we endure suffering, the way that we deal with success. Would these images be compelling to our family and to our neighbors, to our co-workers? Whoever is in our path, Lord, would the real Jesus shine through your people to call many, many, many more to yourself. So Lord, I pray if there are any here who do not know you, they have had questions and are struggling through following you, I pray that your Holy Spirit would lead them out of confusion and bring them into light that they might trust in Jesus unto new life. Lord, have your way in us, have your way in this church. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.